This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. And I'm Vervada, the girl who had to do another intro alone because we still got some life stuff going on, but we really wanted to bring you an episode this week, even though we didn't stick to our normal recording schedule. So we're releasing this episode early. This episode is an interview with Brad Williams, otherwise known as the writer and producer for the podcast called Once Upon a Wasteland. You may recognize his voice if you listen to the Modus Files, but I'll let him give himself an introduction. Thanks for listening as usual. Let's get into it. Welcome in, Brad. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. V will be in the episode a little bit later for those of you listening on today. So it's just Jen and Brad sitting down to have a little bit of Fallout chat. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, but first I do want to say I've been looking forward to this for a long time, for having this conversation. Obviously we've talked a lot offline, uh, but being on the show is a, it's a big moment. I'm very happy to be here and I'm very pleased that we're, that we're able to do this. So thank you very much for having me. Oh, thank you. Uh, so by way of introductions, my name is Brad Williams. I am, I guess, within the video game slash Fallout community, I'm best known to, to whatever extent I am known as the voice of Modus in the Modus Files, which is a popular Fallout 76 podcast. I've also done guest spots on Chad, which is the biggest of all the Fallout 76 podcasts, as well as True Vault Escapades, which is another, another uh, very popular and well-regarded Fallout-based podcast. I do some stuff with the Wasteland Theater Company. Um, that's something that, that folks may have heard of. That's It's had some coverage out in the wild where uh, our director stages Shakespeare plays within Fallout 76 in-game. So there's been there's been some press surrounding those, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of stage work in my day, and it's similar but different. There are bigger concerns. Like, when you're doing an actual stage production, nobody disconnects in the middle of it. Um, but that can happen and has happened during our productions in 76, but that's, that's been a fun thing and we're, there, there will be more of those coming up. So that's, that's something that's, that's been pretty exciting. But I guess the thing that I'm probably best known for is as the, the creator and the head writer and showrunner for Once Upon a Wasteland, which is another Fallout 76 based story, which launched in October of last year, in October of 2021, we just finished the season. On May 23rd, we dropped our season finale, which uh, is a 10-episode season, so it's out there available to binge, and we have noticed uh, an uptick in, in folks listening. So I think there, there were some, some folks that were that were waiting to do that, which, which we thought might be the case, because a lot of folks do enjoy the ability to just kind of sit down and listen at their own pace rather than waiting for releases, and that's that's pretty cool. But yeah, that's, uh, that's basically who, who I am. Oh, I know that I sort of waited for that. I think you were like four, maybe five episodes out. And then I was like, all right, I'll give it a listen just because I'm not a Fallout girl. So I didn't know if I would like it at all. I listened to your promo trailer and I was like, okay, this story actually grips me. Uh, your introduction episode. 
the story itself is what's going to grip me and pull me into it. And then I downloaded like the first five episodes and then binged through them. And then I was like, damn it, now I have to wait. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's and it's not like like series television. My 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 background's in television and it's it, that's usually a one week, you know, every week there's something coming out. But with this, because everybody involved with it has day jobs and, and other things going on, it, it doesn't really work that way. So I ended up doing it every three weeks, which is, I think, pretty common. Most people probably do it every two weeks, you know, between two weeks and four weeks between episodes. And three weeks after an early discussion with the cast ended up kind of being our sweet spot for that. So it gives me time to write. It gives the voice actors time to record. And then it gives me time to edit. And we got a pretty good rhythm there for releases. So it, it did work out okay. Yeah, and the three weeks didn't feel that bad, you know, like a, that long of a wait. So yeah, that definitely was a sweet spot. But how did you come to love Fallout? How did that land into your sweet spot? Well, I'm not a, I haven't been playing Fallout since like Fallout 1, like, like a lot of people have. The first Fallout game that I played was Fallout 4. I bought that trying to think if I, I might have pre-ordered it but i at the very least bought it at launch and i absolutely loved it it's a fantastic game i did i think five playthroughs so that i could do different faction combinations and and check out the all the different things that you could do when you alive with the with the different factions and the interactions that happened between those and it was you know it's, it's a really compelling story it's a great game to play i enjoyed the heck out of it so when fallout 76 was announced i I had concerns. I've been on the internet for a long time. <laughs> I've been on the internet since 1990. So I'm aware of what people are like on the internet. And I have never been somebody who likes playing games online. So I'm thinking, well, I really love Fallout, but do I want to play with a 13-year-old who's going to say terrible things about my uh, my, my family heritage <laughs> while I'm playing this this game that I that I really enjoy? Uh, so I, I had concerns, and it turned out those were not the things that I should be concerned about. I did not enjoy the game when it first came out. Um, it felt empty. There weren't a lot of people. Uh, the, the griefing and PvP that I was concerned about did happen. So I just quit after a few weeks. I was, I was incredibly frustrated by it. And I, just, I just dropped it. I was like, you know what? It was a mistake. I spent my $100. We'll just chalk that up to a, to an error. But then when Wastelanders dropped, it came back. And that's when it kind of clicked for me. We had some human NPCs, and there were more stories and more things to do, and also more people playing. And I think as more people joined, the number, I guess, well, the proportion of people that were those griefers and PvPers and people that just kind of want to ruin your day became a smaller and smaller portion of the people that were there because the, the community demonstrated itself to be a very helpful and friendly community. And also Bethesda did a few things to kind of work that part of it out too. So it made it harder to grief people and, and made PVP truly optional for mm. people, which, which was a, a big thing for me. Cause I'm, that's not what I play for. Uh, I, I just, I, I don't enjoy that. And if, if a game becomes that, then I'm just not going to play it. Fortunately, it went in the opposite direction. Yeah, I have a bit, I have a long history with uh, MMOs and things like that. That's where a lot of my gaming has come from. And I, too, have been on the Internet since the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> well, I ironically, though, my first experience on the Internet when I was at Syracuse was with a it's a text based online game. The one that I played on the most was called a mush multiple user shared hallucination. Those descended from MUDs, multi-user dungeons, which tended to be more like D&D style role-playing games. Mm -hmm. 
but mush has tended to be more social. So I, I played on one called Tiny Tim. I still have really good friends that uh, that I met there. In fact, I got tickets to see, to see Chelsea Handler the other night from somebody from a good friend that that I met there, you know, thirty years ago. So there was that. There was a there was a Star Trek one that that was that was super enjoyable. So really, my first experience with online games was very positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's some of the other you know FPSs and those kinds of games maybe don't attract the same crowd as as text based internet adventures from the early to mid 90s right yeah uh and i fully agree that any form of mmo should have uh the toggle for pvp or not because Mm -hmm. that's not what i'm into either unless i am into it that moment and really just want to go kill people and then i find other people who want to be killed so (laughs) yeah and, and i think there 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 should be enough of an audience for both of those things that because I, even though I don't PvP, I think that Bethesda should put something in the game that allows people to PvP more than they knew to do now. Because now there's Hunter Hunted, which is a quest where you can opt into it. If you claim a workshop, then you can engage in PvP, and mm-hmm. people can engage in PvP with you. So there's a few places to do it, but it's clunky. PvP is also really unbalanced. I would like to see something for the PvPers in Fallout 76, and I think it, you know, I, I want it cordoned off from people who don't want to PvP. But I think that it would Im- it would increase and improve the reach of the game if they if if they did that. And I think they tried to do that a little bit with with Nuclear Winter putting out a battle royale kind of a kind of a mode, but it was it was buggy and it had problems. I know I don't want to catch any heat for this. It was it was very popular, but uh, it, it had fundamental issues that I think Bethesda was either unwilling or unable to to repair in a way that they would be able to keep it going. So it is the kind of game that it is now and I think that we're probably at the point where it's kind of game that it's going to continue to be which is fine by me because i like the way that the game runs now Hmm. Uh, okay so two questions sparked uh while we were having that conversation for me uh one i need to go back to fallout 4 for a moment and asked who was your favorite romance in fallout 4 boy that's you know i was actually thinking about this in advance of this call because obviously i romanced everybody i could i think it it comes down to either piper or kate for me Mm -hmm. um i think if if it was me in the Commonwealth and Fallout 4, meet Brad in there, I would have romanced Piper. Piper actually reminded me of my first girlfriend uh, from when I was 10 years old. Um, you know, just sweet, earnest, very nice, um, and also fiery and dedicated and with a, a strong eye toward justice. So I think that may push it over the edge, but but Kate was also awesome. You know, the, Kate has that great redemption story, and mm-hmm. you, you see the you know obviously the the rough and and tumble exterior that that was created by abuse and and trauma uh but then you sort of see her come out of that as the relationship develops so i i'm a sucker for that kind of a story so that part of it was was good too but gun to my head uh, please don't put a gun to my head um i would i would probably say piper would be my choice in fallout sorry to all the hancock fans out there it would have to be piper for me uh gosh no piper kate and hancock are definitely some of the top three that i have seen um Mm -hmm. yeah no i agree i like piper um the her journalism and always out there seeking the truth seeking the question get wanting to know so i really like that about her and and my degree is in broadcast journalism from Syracuse too, so there was that little bit of a connection there. So she was a little bit. I mean, having seen the the other uh, the other side of it, the how, how journalism really works, uh, I think that that might get a little much. 
for me. Like if we're, if we're talking about like a real life romance, mm-hmm. that, you're at about a 10 Piper. Maybe you can dial it down to like a seven. Just, <laughs> just when it's just us. Oh, welcome in V. Hi. Hi. Sorry. I was late. The child dictates my schedule. <laughs> and, I thought you were, I thought you were just going to say the child. Just that. <laughs> the the child. child. Sounds like you guys are already getting into it. I guess Piper's your favorite romance. Is that what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. It's Fallout 4. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's good. I think we were going to switch back topics to, and you kind of already answered um, the question about like, why did you pick characters from Fallout 76 to be the center of your story? And it sounds because you really fell in love with the game. Well, kind of. Um, th- 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 there's there's more of a backstory uh, to it than that. I, I didn't, if, if you had told me two years ago that I was going to make an audio drama podcast, I would have asked for some of whatever it was that you had just taken. Uh, I had absolutely no, I don't want to say interest in, because I mean, there, there's always an interest in writing, but no expectation of ever doing anything like this. Um, I was a screenwriter back in longer ago than I'd like to admit. Um, that was something that I wanted to do. I did some freelance stuff. I did some spec scripts. I did that kind of thing. But it became apparent pretty quickly that, that was not going to be a career for me. It's a tough job. It's an extremely difficult thing. It's the, the ups and downs are, there are a lot of them, and there are more downs than ups for most people in the industry. I, I, I have friends who are who are or were in the industry, and I know how brutal it can be. Uh, so I, I basically just shelved that and decided that's I'm going to get a nice day job. I'm going to have a career in something that is not that. And, you know, I just put it aside. I didn't write anything for 25 years. Like I didn't put anything down on a piece of paper after a pilot pitch that I had got rejected. And that was basically the thing that told me, okay, that's the best that I can do. And if that doesn't get any play, then I need to look somewhere else. It was, you know, a very pragmatic decision. It wasn't navel gazing or like, oh, I'm terrible. I'm a horrible person or whatever. It was really just, okay, this is the sign that I need to move on to something else. And I did that. And I'm in the middle of a very good career. I'm happy with, with my career. But what happened was in at some point last year, I don't remember exactly when, there was a post on Reddit from somebody who was looking for a voice actor for their Fallout 76 based podcast. And I think that was probably around the time that I was getting back into the game. And I have also done voice work. That that was part of my degree program. I've, I've done narration. I've done voiceover work. I've done voice acting in addition to in front of the camera acting. So that's all, also something that I sort of stopped doing probably around the same time. But I thought, hey, you know, that sounds like it would be fun. I have some decent equipment. I know how to do it. As long as somebody is directing me a little bit and tells me what they want, I can give them what they want. It's not the kind of thing that you forget how to do. You might need to practice again a little bit, but it was something that I figured I could do. So I sent him an audition for one of the, the roles in it that he that he had mentioned that he needed. I did some processing on it to make it sound good. And the next thing you know, I was cast as the voice of Modus in the Modus Files, and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. So that became a thing. And I also ended up, I think I've done six voices now for Modus Files. So that's been fun. It's, I haven't had any conversations with myself yet. I'm, I, I'm wondering if that's going to happen at some point. It definitely could. Not all of my characters are dead. Through that process, Lawrence, who, who does Modus Files, he's a great guy. He's, he's very creative, obviously. If you've listened to the show, you know how creative he is. Uh, he's also very encouraging. And he and I had started to talk about, like, he asked, well, hey, what's your character's, what's your OC's backstory? So I said, well, I don't really have anything fleshed out but i thought well based on the way that i play i'm a very cooperative player i think she basically wants people to be nice to each other that's her raison d'etre in the game is 
she wants people to be nice to each other. And out of that grew, well, wait a minute, what if she is actually part of a vault tech program where that's what they want to do? They want to foster cooperation. But what if there's, it's vault tech, so there must be a nefarious reason for that because vault tech doesn't do anything that's above board. It was just iterations of that, that that sort of fleshed out the character's backstory. And as we went on, I wrote a few scenes and a few treatments and and that sort of thing. And Lawrence at some point just said, hey, you know, you ought to, you should consider maybe thinking about doing your own audio drama podcast. And from that point, I really started to think about it. And screenwriter mode kicked in, you know, with my, with my background in television rather than in film, that helped because I understand how episodic storytelling works. I understand how to plot out a season, uh, you know, those, those kinds of things. So that is, it sort of grew out of that. And the other thing that came out appropriate to the, to the topic of your show is anybody who's played fallout 76 knows that when you go through the brotherhood quest lines, scribe Valdez is someone that you converse with and someone that you can flirt with, but not someone that you can romance in the con in the context of the game. Mm -hmm. There are two instances where you can flirt with her. And I always thought it was funny that one, she just shoots you down cold, like brutally. I mean, nicely, but brutally. It's like it's it's like that thing from The Sims. Like you could see the very moment that his heart breaks. <laughs> and and in the and in the other one though, she's weirdly receptive. She's like, well, you know, I've never been one to back down from a challenge. Like you describe what that is. Uh, but at the end of the day, you still can't romance her. And when you go back, and all she cares about is your technical data. Now, when Steel Dawn first dropped, there was a big people love Scribe Valdez. Scribe Valdez is a very attractively created character model. Michelle C. Bonilla, who does the voice, created a very attractive character with the voice. Uh, you know, smart, strong. She sounds pretty. <laughs> that mm -hmm. makes sense. One thing that, that, that Vitriol mentioned that I thought was really spot on that I hadn't really thought of, she said that she always sounds like she's smiling. Mm. Uh, and I mean, that, that was a brilliant observation, but she's brilliant, so she has a lot of those. So little things like that. So I thought, all right, I have the bones of a character here for, for the who, who would be the lead character. What if I introduce the concept of, well, what if you could romance Scribe Valdez? What would happen there? And that's when the concept really took off. And that's when I was really able to, to, to really flesh it out and figure out where I wanted to go with the story and how I wanted to plot things out. And that, that's that's the beginning. That's the beginning of the show. But that's it's a very roundabout way of answering your question of why fallout 76 characters and it was really because i was in modus files modus files is a fallout 76 based story podcast and the conversations that we had surrounding that were about my oc in fallout 76 so that's that's really where it came from it was it was something that i that i sort of fell into rather than anything that i had a grand plan i'm not i know there's a lot of people out there who are big lore buffs and are really into the story whether it's 76 or new vegas or fallout 3 or whatever that's not me um it, it it just sort of happened that way i'm glad it did because i think it worked out pretty well but it was something i kind of fell into we know about luckily falling into a storyline that makes it work <laughs> but speaking of storyline uh why don't you go through a little bit about the once upon a wasteland story for our listeners who haven't listened to it yet and i'm going to say yet because i would love it if you would all go and download the episodes binge it it's a beautiful beautiful story well thank you um so the best way to sum up once upon a wasteland is it's the story of a spy and a scribe and 
how they meet and fall in love while saving Appalachia. That's basically what happens. It's framed by that central romance between those two main characters and the situation that occurs around their romance drives that situation toward its conclusion and that situation also drives them closer together so it was important i think to have both aspects of the story be be prominent and to not give short shrift to one versus the other it's already a niche concept i think for a video game to be i don't even want to say to, to have a very prominent romance angle in it so i think if it was just that I don't think it would have worked quite as well as I think it ended up working. You really have to have that story driving it. But what drives the story is the characters. It's it's a story very much about people. Even more than a story about romance and a story about love and about love conquering all. It's really a story about people and how they interact. And it doesn't just play out between those two main characters. The main characters, Elizabeth Kirby, who is a vault-trained intelligence operative, and Odessa Valdez a scribe who works for the Brotherhood of Steel and is a brilliant scientist, a very earnest and dedicated member of the Brotherhood of Steel. Uh, both of them have the same general goal in mind, which is that they want what's best for what's left of the United States. That's what they want. They, they want to do good. Both of them want to do good. They have different ways of going about it. They have different backgrounds and different upbringings that leads them to the, the methods that they, that, they, uh, that they try to achieve that with. But at the end of the day, they both want the same thing, which is which is for things to be as, as good as possible, as possible as or as good as they can be in a post-apocalyptic wasteland that we've seen in 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 the fallout world. Um, but speaking of characters and their, their interactions, I think you see it in the way that Odessa deals with her best friend, uh, who's a knight in the Brotherhood of Steel, Alan. They have kind of a big brother, little sister relationship. Uh there's a relationship between Beth and her ex-girlfriend, Amanda, who is a raider and a bar owner. And that's a completely different set of interactions we see. And my favorite the, character. Yeah. It, well, it, it, it's hard not to fall in love with, with Lucy's performance as Amanda. She she and, and I, I can I can even say just to, to uh, segue really quick for for a second. That's the kind of thing that can really change the way that you write. So I wrote the first two scripts, had no idea who I was going to get as Amanda. And Lawrence suggested Lucy, and I didn't expect to be able to get her, but she was excited about it. She she read for it. It was it was great. Um, and having her then shifted the way that I wrote the character because I knew what she was capable of. So I made the character bigger. Uh, I should say I made the role bigger, um, and also tried to really work her into more storylines than I probably would have otherwise. Uh, Amanda. Like a lot of characters in this, there there are aspects of Amanda that are that are based in in some small or large part on people I know. So she started out as being based on one particular person, and that uh, that character was not going to have a, a particularly prominent role, a, a small but but important role in fleshing out Beth's character. But when Lucy came on, she became basically a third lead. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those, one of those nice little things that happens. And I mean, honestly, I didn't expect to get anybody that I got, um, Letitia as Beth. No, wouldn't have even, wouldn't have even thought of it, thought of asking her, but, uh, she reached out to Lawrence and expressed interest in it. And she came on, um, vitriol. I, I asked Lawrence to, if I could talk to her based on her performance in his Halloween episode. So, I mean, 
I have an embarrassment of riches in terms of the cast. Um, and that I think his words on a page are words on a page, you know, and it's performances like that can, can really elevate what has been written. And sometimes I, I, I'll be editing an episode and I'll think, did I write that? You know, that sounds better than something I would write. <laughs> and it's not because I wrote something really amazing. No, it's, it's because the way that it's, that it's been performed and the way that, that it's been interpreted by them has elevated it to the point where it's almost unrecognizable by the person who actually wrote it. So those, those kinds of things are, those th kinds of things are really great. We've had a few narrative designers that we've interviewed say the same thing about video game and voice recording for video games and how they're, when they were writing characters, they're like, I guess that character would have read it that way. You know, like they find out new attributes to that character or personality traits just by the way the actor decides to take it. And I think it's so cool because I don't know if Jen ever thought this way, but I thought this way when I was um, an ignorant game fan <laughs> of like, I just thought narrative designers were like, like novelists basically like writing a game in a dark closet somewhere and just giving it away. And it's like, here it is in its final form and no one else has any input really. It's just like one or two people writing the story. Nope. Obviously that was super, super wrong. And I don't think that's the case for television shows anyway. And it's probably not the case for a podcast show either with yeah. this kind of podcast show anyway. Yeah. TV is, is very much a collaborative effort. And that's one of the things I liked about it. I, I love being in a room. Like there's, there's nothing. And, and I guess it's, it's not the same as it was years ago, but <laughs> it's, the, the concept of a room is something that always appealed to me because you get people who, you know, a person may be a lead writer on a particular episode, but you, the kind of feedback you get in that kind of environment is great. It's, it's frank, it's constructive, and it can be harsh in a way, but it's not harsh in a mean way. It's harsh in the kind of way that will help you. So those kinds of, of interactions are the kind of thing that I really miss. You know, it's, it's like when you do theater, there's, there's this sense of camaraderie that, that you get when you're, you, you know, we're all in this together and you get the same thing when you're writing for a TV show. So that's something that, that if there's one thing that I wish I could duplicate, that's the kind of thing that I, that I would like to duplicate. And I, I can tell you, Lawrence has, has been pretty open about this. When he started Modus Files, he came into it having written novel format stuff and a lot of it. And he's been adapting that to, to a podcast format very well and very you know obviously very successfully but but very incredibly well and, and and i think we've all seen adaptations of that kind of writing that don't necessarily go that well so it's a testament to number one the story he's written number two his skill as a writer to be able to adapt it on the flip side i think in screenplay i always have i've never been able to write like that i i've, I've tried to write in short story or novel form it does not work for me so i i i pop open final draft which is the screenwriting software I use. And I write with that and it flows very well for me. So it, I guess there's, there's, there isn't a layer of abstraction there. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit more direct for me, but, but yeah, it's, 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 it's the way that I think. And I'm sure I've never done anything in terms of narrative design for a game, but I think you're probably right that it's, it's a similar kind of a vibe. Yeah, I haven't either. Maybe someday, who knows, but I, cause I always like to write and that was kind of my, it's not the same experience, but when I was younger, I was getting my creative writing degree. And then I was like, I grew up in Los Angeles. So I 
you know, my dad was in the industry and I was like, I'm not going to make it. Okay. Like <laughs> nobody makes it. So I better pick a safe degree and I switched to HR and that's what I've done until now. And so I feel like a bunch of people have done that, but, but my writing was always novel form. And that's what I admire so much about this kind of writing because you have to, it's almost for me, writing is like vulnerable. My twin sister was the only one who would draft for me, like, or proofread and, I, I never ever published anything. So I was like, oh, it's just private. It's so, it's like my soul and bearing my soul, you know? But then this is like everyone and their mom has to read it and give you feedback sometimes in the moment with you standing right there. And it's like pretty brave, I think, personally. It's, it's it, one of the things that I think is interesting is a lot of people who, who have done this, like, like done a, a, an independent audio drama podcast have said, well, yeah, you know, I always wrote for myself. I would write, you know, I'd write volumes and volumes of short stories and I wrote my own novels and I just, I just love sitting down and writing. And I'm like, that's, I don't like, like I said, I didn't write anything for 25 years. I, I'd never, I've never been able to write for myself, like for the sheer joy of writing. There has to be that component where I know that it's going to go out into the world somehow. I, I guess I, I derive my satisfaction from knowing that people are enjoying it and that people are moved by it. So the, the act of writing doesn't really do it for me. And I, I'm, I'm reluctant sometimes to admit that because I, I, I feel like it makes me sound like less of an artist. And I, I should say, I don't, I don't consider myself an artist. I never have. But I, people who are in it for the art, it's, it's a much more pure thing. I think when people talk about, well, I just do it for the for the love of the game, you know, and I like I don't do it for that. I, I, I mean, I don't do it for money either, but I, I, I want people to enjoy it. That's that's what's important to me. If I enjoy it, swell, but that's not that's you're, that's not important to me. You're not doing it for the love of the writing it for yourself. You're doing it for the love of writing it for other people. You are the storyteller. You're not necessarily somebody who wants to. Yeah, no, I totally get it. I get it. And and one of the nice things about branching out, I've 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 done a few interviews outside of the Fallout community and outside of the video game community with with creators and and other people in the space, and that's made me feel better about that because it seems like within the Fallout community, and and it's the same way with visual artists. Like a lot of visual artists will say, "Oh, I'm just going to sit down, I'm going to draw some awesome stuff," and they do, and it's great, and they never show anybody. It's because they do it because it's they do it for themselves, and it's it's a it's a pure expression of art for themselves. So I think there's a lot of that, and it's great. You know, it's like I said, it's it's pure. But I do feel better knowing that I'm not alone, or that there's not some, it's not kind of a base instinct for me to to really look toward other people enjoying it for uh, what's the word I'm looking for for. Uh, not justification, but um, anyway, to, to make it, satisfaction to, to, to make it worth it for me. Um, that's yeah. that's that's what I that's what I need. That's what I'm in it for. I was when you were talking, I was just thinking, I was like, it sounds like you really are like you're creating something for me whenever I would write, even though I had lofty ideas of like, I will become a famous author someday or narrative designer. That's what my goal was when I was a kid and teenager and young adult. Um, but I. <laughs> would never feel confident about because what I wrote when I wrote it was like pouring something out of me right and then I'm like and it's shit <laughs> you know but like at least I feel empty now but whereas you it sounds like you, you're more clinical in the way you approach it which is 
better, I think, because then you actually make something and other people actually see it, you know? How many people are like me? They're like, I love to write, but I never give it to anybody, you know? And, yeah. and that's okay, but if you want to be a writer, you got to give something to somebody sometime. Yeah, and I do, I don't want to say I look at it like a job, but I do look at it, I'm, I'm a task-oriented person, I'm a process-oriented person, so that's that's part of it. And I think coming into it not having, like I, I wasn't writing things from when I was, you know, from the time that I was 12 years old up until I started doing script polishes, right? I When I started doing that, it was, it was almost in that kind of a, a professional sort of a setting. So I think maybe that informs why I look at it that way and, and why... Uh, why I'm able to, to sort of detach myself from it in a way that, that lets me do it that way. And, and I mean, this show, I absolutely approached it like a, like a job in terms of the way that I went about things. So, and I think that that helped keep things on track in terms of the schedule and, and making sure that things actually got done. Cause the, the interview that I just did, I said that the road is littered with the corpses of audio dramas and other works that never got off the ground. And I was bound and determined to not let that happen to this. If it if it bombed, if it fell flat, fine. Well, not fine, but uh, I I would I'm much more comfortable with putting something out there and having it fall flat than sitting here for the next twenty years and going, well, geez, what if what if I had done it? I won't beat myself up nearly as much for failing as I would for not trying. So I'll try anything uh, and not always succeed. Uh, but I can live with that. Definitely. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> sorry, I was just thinking about this guy, this workout guy that's a veteran that my husband follows on Instagram. He always says, fail forward. And I really like that phrase because you pretty much always fail at everything at first, but you will literally never get good at it unless you try and you have to try. Well, that's, that's shoot your shot. That's, that's. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's something that's actually been difficult for me um, because I have often succeeded early on when I try things, um, and I it sounds like a humble brag, and I don't I don't mean it to be, but when you're used to quick success, and I don't mean to say that everything I've done has been a success. That's absolutely not the case. Obviously, I mean I talked about failing as a screenwriter and as an actor, um, but. A lot of things go right for me. It's, I'm like John Hamm's character on uh, Thirty Rock, without the hooks for hands. Uh, so you know, the, the, so so that that kind of thing, I'm used to it. So I can get discouraged if things don't go well off the bat. And with this show, things didn't go that well off the bat. My numbers were lousy. I felt bad about it because I felt like I, I think I'm a pretty good objective. Uh, assessor of things I do, of, of work I put out. And I thought that this story was good. I knew the voice acting was great, but I thought that the story that I was creating was, was good. I, you know, the story was good. The sound design was solid. There wasn't anything really glaring that was wrong with it. I'm like, yeah, nobody is listening. So I, you know, I'm looking for systemic things. I'm like, what, okay, what is the problem here? And now things are going much better. Um, so it was one of those things and Lawrence told me a million times. Uh, I'm sure he wanted to strangle me. I'm glad he isn't in North Carolina because he, if he was closer, he probably would have driven down to my house and strangled me. But just, <laughs> just like, like, dude, calm down, keep doing it, and you know, don't don't make your your assessment right now. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people say audio dramas have a long tail, which I am learning is very true. All these things, everything everybody told me was correct. <laughs> so I, I had nothing to worry about, but that doesn't stop me from work. It's, it's, it's in my nature. And I don't think that's too uncommon among people that, that make things. Definitely. Cause I know that when we first started out, I was like, oh my gosh, we hit 30 downloads in the first week. That's so cool. I was expecting like 3,000. Where the hell are all the listeners? And then I was like, you know what? We're having fun with it. And Mm -hmm. eventually we will get there. Now we're averaging a lot more on day one downloads. Um, And so that means that the people really want to hear us talk. And I know that we will continue doing this podcast, whether or not the numbers go up, whether they go down, or they just stay where they're at, because we have a lot of fun with it. But right now, I think that this might be a good little spot to take a mid-break. We'll thank our patrons, and then we'll get into a deep question that I've been waiting to ask you, Mr. Brad. (laughs) I cannot wait. You all will have to, because you need to listen to these very important messages. Now it's time to thank our wonderful patrons for their continued and amazing support of us on this show Thank you, Shanko. Thank you, Apollo. Thank you, Toasty and Austin and Shelby Cups. Thank you, Meiji. Thank you, Stone Mystheos. We really, really appreciate all of your support. And if you are a listener who is not yet a patron, you can find the link to our Patreon in our description. Unfortunately, Patreon flagged us as an explicit content creator because I guess we talk about sex too much. So you can't search us. You have to directly paste the link. Um, But yeah, we try to make it easy for you. So we put that in the description of every episode. Thank you, patrons. I I like we can get your opinion on things from a writing standpoint and a voice actor standpoint slash actor standpoint. Yeah, because those two things coming together is the magic that makes the character and the story. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, and, and I think the going the direction that I did, which is writer slash actor into like producer director, is a pretty common. I mean, you know, if, if your dad's in the industry, you know that's that's kind of the normal career track for a lot of people. Where you get to the point, and, and when I when I started the show, I was like, I don't want to do any roles, and I, I did one in the prologue, but that was a one off. That was just me and Lawrence, so it was something that I I I, I forgave myself for. But I was like, I don't want to appear in it. I don't want to play any characters. I. I want to be the writer and the showrunner. That's all I want to do. It's, it's just like somebody who becomes a director and doesn't want to get back in front of the camera, at least for the production that they're directing for, because it almost feels like you're, like you're taking a step backward. And I definitely would have felt that way if I did. And obviously in the epilogue, I did another one, but that was an important thing for me because my daughter played the daughter. And, uh, you know, it was just a nice little thing that you don't get the, you don't necessarily get the opportunity to do. Well, and Modus made an appearance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's true. Yeah, I, I, I wanted a chance to write Modus a little bit, and I, I tried to make him funny. Mm-hmm. The because um, I'm a comedy writer, I know there's not much comedy in this show. There's very little, but I do try to have a couple of moments that are at least a little bit funny. Like the the um, the one that I that I liked was um, when Modus says, "Good luck," and Beth says, "You believe in luck," and Modus says, "We do not." And it's just just that deadpan. That deadpan kind of AI humor, I guess, that uh, that was pretty good. And, of course, the, in, in episode one, the scene with Mr. Douglas and Odessa was a straight comedy bit. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, the way that you said that uh, reminds me of Legion. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. In Mass Effect, yeah. Um, the line was, uh, I wish you good luck, and Legion just goes, acknowledged. It's like, what am I sp- <laughs> I'm an AI. What am I supposed to do with luck? Acknowledged. I love androids. I'm always an android character fan. Every Star Wars, anything, I'm like, oh, yep, there's my favorite character right there. It's the android. I just love it. I can't What's- wait for our robot overlords. Well, like IG-11 in The Mandalorian, I think, was a good example of... and I mean, mm-hmm. Alan Tudyk did the voice, and Alan Tudyk is hysterical. Oh my gosh, I'm such a fangirl of him. Oh, I so love much. him. Like Resident mm-hmm. Alien, one of the best shows I've ever seen. It, he is amazing. I mean, he's amazing in everything. Like, he was great in Suburgatory. Um, I never, I didn't watch Firefly, Don't Kill Me. Oh, I um, did. That yeah, was where I fell in love with him. So does everybody else. I just, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I have I not. found out K2SO was Alan Tudyk, I was like, oh, oh my god. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's he's fantastic in literally everything. So yeah, I'm... my brain just clicked on who that was, and so I was like, "Oh, oh wow, <laughs> okay, yeah." Oh my gosh! And then I was watching Zootopia with my daughter, and he's the freaking oh. weasel in that movie. Oh, really? <laughs> and I swear to God, it was Steve Buscemi. And then the credits roll, and it's Alan. T- I'm like, yeah. you can sound just like Steve Buscemi, apparently. <laughs> All right. The, the, like... the one thing, the, the one line that I will use that from from Resident Alien is, I'll, I'll go like this. I'll go. Do you like my teeth? <laughs> Which, just his, his delivery on so much is so good in that show, but that one, I don't know why, it just tickled me. So, the big question that I wanted to ask you after our mid-break was that you really do have some amazing scenes in in the podcast that I really, really resonated with. And one of them had to be, or was the dynamic between Amanda and beth before we met them and it was a scene involving like the 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 way that you portrayed a healthy bdsm relationship between those two i know that i read that i felt that but you didn't like expressly say yes this is the dynamic that they were in so one i wanted to thank you for doing that so beautifully because i felt seen (laughs) What you read, I, I'll say you read it correctly. That 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 was intended to be in there subtextually, and I, and I'll say that that aspect of their of their relationship was one of the few healthy parts of their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we I, I say a few times, or I have the characters say a few times, that their relationship overall was toxic, but that aspect of their relationship was almost an island of where they could take solace and where they could truly express their love for each other without other things getting in the way all the all the complicating factors in their relationship sort of went away when they were expressing their love for each other in that aspect of their relationship so i'm i'm a big fan of subtext i i like to leave things unsaid and i like to let people one of the things i always say is trust the audience right because the audience is smart and i that informs the way that i write stuff and it informed the way that i wrote that particular character dynamic between those between those two and there was even a little bit of it um not between them but between amanda and odessa Mm -hmm. there's subtext in there that i purposely left wide open for interpretation uh i know what happened that night going back to to beth and amanda yeah uh, and i think looking back on the the bdsm aspect of their relationship i think was one of the things that allowed them to come back together as friends after they had their big blow up and they separated entirely for for a period of time and then they were when they were sort of forced back together i think those things that 
God and the wave weren't in the way anymore. And they were able to focus on the, the things that they remembered about their relationship that were, that were positive and it, and it allowed them to, to come back as friends. Oh, absolutely. Because you have to have such an intimate level of trust with somebody mm-hmm. in that dynamic. And once you have that built and established and you know that those trust bounds aren't going to be broken, that it's easier to have a friendship with somebody. You know, if an actual romantic, you know, dating type relationship isn't going to work out, it doesn't necessarily mean that a friendship can't still remain. And I also Mm -hmm. loved that, too, about the fact that they could be friends afterwards, because, you know, there are people that I have dated in the past that I'm still friends with today. So that's why I heart Amanda, big heart emoji eyes towards Amanda. (laughs) Well, that's and that's that was another thing, like a lot of the things that happen in this show are based on my personal experiences. And I am also still friends or friendly with most of the people that I've been involved with romantically throughout my life. So I wanted to, to sort of put that, that was, I think, the first thing in that relationship that I put down on paper was that part of it, that they're exes, but they are now best friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- that, that was something that I wanted to put in there as to show that that sort of thing is real. <laughs> like, you know, that, that exes can be friends because the people still love each other some level and it allows them to be friends and still be loyal to each other and to, and to recognize that, that aspect of, of what makes those people important to each other. Now, one thing that is very clear and apparent is that you are a man. You are male. I am. Did you find any challenges writing from your, your three main characters are all female and they all have female driven relationships. Did you have any challenges writing lesbian romance stories? How did you get into that mindset? Yeah, it's it's I think it it really comes down to at a base level no matter who you're writing, you need to make sure that you understand the characters and that you are true to those characters. I think if you come from that place, if that's your starting point, then good things are going to happen. Now, I did not come into this story with the intention, like I didn't start and go, you know what? I want to write a same sex romance between two women. That's not how this, this started. It just sort of happened that way. So the, the love affair between the two main characters on a fundamental level is not all that different from what I would have written if it was a het pair. Now there are details, obviously that are going to be different between all those kinds of relationships. But I think making sure that the thing that I nailed was the romance between two people, not between two women, not between a woman and a man, not between two men, uh, not between uh, any uh, non-binary characters, making sure that I'm just looking at them as people first and approaching it that way. That's how I stay true to everybody. Now, that said, once it became a same-sex romance, I had a responsibility, and I took that responsibility very seriously. Even though I didn't come into this with, with any kind of an agenda I understood that I needed to make sure that I portrayed these characters in a healthy and an appropriate way. That's not to say that these characters are perfect. Uh, That's not to say that their relationship, uh, or I should say relationships, are perfect. But I had to make sure, for example, that I didn't fall into any harmful stereotypes or harmful tropes, even unintentionally. I did a lot of research, and I've been... How can I put this without it sounding weird? Uh... I've been involved with the LGBTQIA plus community for a very long time, for probably 30 years, maybe more. I have a lot of friends across the LGBTQIA plus spectrum. So I, I have, I, 
maybe as much of an understanding as a cishet dude can, <laughs> right? Without actually being in the community. Uh, so you're a powerful I, I have, ally. Like, yeah, that's that's and that's and that's what I want to be. And and another thing is, if you're coming in it from where I'm coming in it, coming at it from, you also have to be very careful. Um, you can't approach it with kind of a white man's burden mindset. Like, I'm not coming in as some sort of white knight on a steed. Oh, well, I'm here to save the LGBTQIA plus community with my podcast. Right. That's not what I'm doing. I'm 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 here to tell a story and I'm going to tell that story earnestly and honestly. I'm going to not have any damaging stereotypes or tropes or even tropes that might not necessarily be considered negative or damaging. Uh, I'm, I'm just telling a story because love is love and it's kind of a cliche sort of sometimes, but a relationship like the relationships that we have in here, whether it's the relationship between Beth and Odessa or the previous relationship between Beth and Amanda, or the relationship between Beth's parents. Uh, any of these relationships, these are, for lack of a better word, normal. Mm -hmm. There is no reason why I should look at Beth and Odessa's relationship any differently than I look at the relationship between Beth's parents. In fact, I even, I made that a point. Uh, I didn't think about it at the time, but looking back on it, I was like, oh, I guess I was doing that subconsciously but beth goes to her mother and says how did you and dad do it you know asking about basically how can i have this relationship with odessa with how terrible everything is and with all the complicating factors and she's asking her mother who is married to a man for relationship advice for a relationship that is between her and another woman love is love that's you know i, I just want to shake people sometimes because i while same-sex relationships are different from het relationships in some ways, at their core, they're not. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the love that my cousin has for his partner, for example, uh, is no different than the love that my parents had for each other. Yep. You know, and and that's, that's, that's the way that I look at it. It's the way that I've always looked at it. I guess in a lot of ways it's naive and, and, and it can come from a place of privilege as a cishet guy, nobody's trying to take my right to love anybody away. Um, but it, it does inform the way that I look at these relationships. And I, I guess I understand the responsibility that I, as a storyteller have, not as a cishet storyteller, but just as a storyteller in, in general, if I decide to tell this story, I have to make sure that I, that I do it right. And I think by telling a good story and telling a believable story about characters that you, that you find compelling and characters that you want to root for, and you want this, this, relationship to succeed as a listener if i've done that then i've done what i what i set out to do that actually was one of my questions was because it sounded like your initial intentions with writing this was not necessarily to write a romance but as you went you found it and now it sounds like that is at least one of the main purposes of the show is to show this love as best as you can is that do you think yeah. you achieved that? I, I, I think I did. Um, I, I'll say that I figured out that it was going to be a romance before I got too far in the development process. Like before I even wrote the first episode script. And I mean, really, if you're listening to the, the not the prologue. Oh, I mean, well, the, I wrote the prologue after I wrote the first two episodes. But if you listen to that first episode, the first thing that I wrote, it's very clearly 
we're, we're setting that romance up where, where Beth comes in and, and she heard about this startlingly attractive brotherhood scribe that everybody thinks is awesome. And she goes in and tries to literally charm the, the pants off her. Um, so that's, you know, that, that's, that's what she does. And I, I, the, I thought it was a, a, a cute moment later when, you know, she comes in and she's all slick and secret agent Jane Bond kind of thing. Like, here, here's this hollow tape. I'm going to save the day. And what are you up to? Hey. But then later on, she's talking to Charles, her, her father's assistant. And it turns out this was all completely arranged. And she had intentionally set this whole thing up so that she could meet Odessa because she'd heard so much about her. So, uh, so yeah, that, that once I figured out that that was the story I, I wanted to tell, then yeah, that, that, that became the, the defining factor. And then all the other kind of wheels started to turn. I love it. I mean, I think it's great because for, I think there's a lot of misconceptions. Like we've talked about this before with um, other writers. And the one I'm thinking about is Ben Sabin. I don't know if you listened to that episode of ours or not, Brad, but something I've heard a lot from people who write stories, especially about love, is that there's a lot of misconceptions about, like, I can't write about something I'm not a part of because, uh, you know, it's not appropriate for me, or I'm scared to go there because I don't want to offend anyone, or I don't want to do that. But it's like, it's also really important to do it well, to just to try like you did, because you're representing it, you're normalizing it, like, like you said, it is just love between two people or three people or four people, I guess, if you want to go into some polygamy. But um, not polygamy. Not polygamy. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just watched Under the Banner of Heaven. I'm so sorry. Polyamory. Please do not <laughs> do not write about polygamy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't know if you guys have seen that show. It's about a Mormon cult in the 80s. Um, yes. No. Oh, my gosh. I've been watching it, too. The Yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I just watched an episode today. Um, Okay, polyamory, please excuse me. Happy Pride, everybody. Um, okay, I was just trying to say that I think it's great. Everyone should write stories about everyone because that's what we need. Like, we don't, there's, I mean, I don't know when the day will come that there's lots of writers that make it big that are not cishet people, usually white, but, like, if they don't at least start to write more diverse stories in the positions they are now, then they won't get told as often. And hopefully someday we just get more writers from all backgrounds, because we've already established that makes a better story, like you have more viewpoints. But, I mean, I just think it's important. We're, we're, you're telling human stories. Yeah. That's what's great. And, and I think that as long as, as people like me look at it like that, uh, that, that's how you start to tell an honest story. Storytelling needs to be honest. You know? Uh, and I will say, I was concerned about that aspect of it. The, the question that I ask myself, and I'm not the right person to answer this question, so I did ask other people, is do I have standing to tell this story? Do I get to tell this story? And I wasn't sure about the answer to that. So I did reach out to Ken, who does the Chad podcast, and I asked him. I was like, what do you think about this? Um, now, granted, I asked him after I already had a few episodes out, so I guess the horse was already out of the barn. <laughs> but Ken was great because he, he basically said, he's like, I... I don't care. I think it's fine. It's like basically, you know, as long as you do what you're doing, which is not having you know, stereotypical bad uh, representation of, of, of these relationships, then then, hey, man, go nuts. And he's like, but you know what? I'm going to poll it. So he polled it and he's like, I think it's going to be about 80, 20, where 80 percent of people are going to say, no, it's fine. And 20 percent of people are going to say, no, uh, a cishet writer should not 
write a story about these kinds of relationships. And it was 85-15. So he was, he was almost right on actually a little bit more in favor. So that, that made me feel a lot better. But I do think a lot of it is in the execution. So if, if people listen to the show and voted, uh, I, I feel like anybody who listened to the show would be more likely to vote yes on that and say that it's, that it's, it's an acceptable thing to do. Because I do feel like I did it right. Um, and it was something that was very important to me. And, if, and honestly, if, if I didn't feel like I could execute on that, I wouldn't have done it. Um, because that, that would be, I don't want to give myself so too much credit and say that it would have been damaging, but on some level it would be, even if 10 people listened to it, just having that out in the world with, with bad representation of these kinds of relationships would be damaging on some level. Um, so yeah, it, I, I would have pulled the plug before we started if, if I felt that, uh, that, that we would have, uh, fallen flat in that regard. And, and we do have LGBTQIA plus people in the cast who I know would would call me out if there if there were any things in the script that didn't ring true or could potentially be damaging. And I'm very happy to say that there was no point that anybody called anything out to me in that regard. So I didn't I didn't screw up too badly, and I, I wasn't saved from myself at any point. Luckily, so that's that's definitely a tick in the right direction. I mean, the way you talk about it, though, it just your whole mindset is of respect, and you were trying to honor storytelling, not just profit off of it basically like i mm -hmm. could easily see someone trying to profit off of this kind of story for the sheer just like oh well look i'm so woke you know <laughs> like follow me but that's tokenizing and that's rude and mm -hmm. it's wrong so i'm you know obviously you're not doing that and that's what a good writer does well, so yeah, I, I, mean, I really i just wanted to tell a story and this happened to be the story that that sort of came out of the hopper Mm -hmm. And I'm happy with this story. I'm proud of it. Um, but but I think again, it's 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 a lot of it does come down to the approach, earnestness, honesty, all those kinds of things, and 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 good things are are going to happen. And it helps. I mean, you see during Pride Month uh, how many companies just slap a pride flag on their on their social media and don't do anything else. You know that that's exactly the kind of thing that 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 I wanted to avoid. And it's easy for me. I'm not making any money off this. I don't even run ads on the show. So, you know, I'm not going to lose any money if people don't listen. If anything, I might gain money because if nobody listens, I won't do a second season and <laughs> it won't cost me any more money, you know? So, uh, but, but no, I mean, I, I don't have any incentive to do that. And like you said, I, I, I don't, I don't do this stuff for attaboys. I don't want anybody patting me on the back because I have a, a, a pride Apple watch band or because I have a show that, that, uh, respectfully portrays a same sex relationship. I, I, that's that's not. I want to tell a story. That's that's all I want to do. I, I'm I'm writing an episode of uh, the Starfield podcast that that Kenny is doing right. So that one is probably, and I have an ulterior motive for that. I'll admit this up front, but I think that one's going to center on uh, a het relationship because now I'm apparently the relationship guy. Uh, but but no, but seriously, that that that's I I have an, an idea in mind for how to play something out within the context of an anthology episode. And romance is always, a, on some level, a part of everything I write. I'm, like I said, I'm not a romance writer. I'm a comedy writer. But this, the, that sitcom script that I talked about earlier, one of the, the, the running themes through it was sort of office romance that, mm. that happened. You know, similar, like you see it in The Office, um, not quite that prominent. But in news radio, which I think is the closest analog to that, that script, there was also that aspect of it in there. So that, that's always a thread through everything I write to some level. I guess we'll find out if I'm capable of writing a, a cis relationship. I don't, I don't know. 
Oh, so the romance guy is hanging out with the two romance chicks. I like it. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we love romance. But, I mean, I everyone does, even if they're not reading romance novels or whatever. Like, everyone loves a good love story or a good friendship story or a good parent-child story. Like, any kind of human connection story because we're social animals. And that's... I mean, I don't know why people hate on romance, especially in games, like, all the time. It's so ridiculous to me because it's like, that makes it better, guys. <laughs> well, we are, that's what we're all about. Love. All of us. That's what we're for. Well, that's, that's one of the, that was one of the concerns I had with engagement on this show. Because, I mean, let's be honest, the, the stereotypical video game uh, content consumer is not the kind of person who is necessarily interested in a show that is primarily driven by, uh, by a romance or even friendship. I, I joke sometimes, uh, like I'll say my show is basically women sitting around talking about their feelings. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, 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 th there is action in the show, but, but there are a lot of, uh, explorations of character dynamics through interactions between those characters and through interactions between other characters and all those all those kinds of things it's all about characters dynamics relationships all those kinds of things and that's not really in the wheelhouse of of what we would consider to be the the widest part i guess of the video game audience so yeah that 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 was another another aspect of it you know like i said coming into this it's a science fiction story which is a niche story it's a video game based science fiction story which further narrows it down into a more of a niche then it's a video game sci-fi story that is driven by a romance which really takes that that niche down which uh i i knew going in that it was entirely bought like what what tom from uh, robots radio said was he said you're firefly um mm. and i said i would love to be firefly i i would be completely content with not necessarily high download numbers but with a lot of good reviews and people coming out and saying, hey, this was great. I, this moved me. I, I, I really like that. I, I would be 100% okay with that. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's one of those things where you kind of have to temper expectations and, and modulate what you, what, you, what you expect when, when you're, like, know your audience, I guess. And, and I'm, I'm contrary. I'm, I, I always have been. So it actually kind of appealed to me to tell a story that, very well might be something that a video game audience wouldn't like but 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 to do it well to do it as well as i possibly could uh I, i'm just i'm like that uh it's 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 a thing of mine i'm just I'm a, I'm a generally contrary person i mean you did a great job i love listening to it because growing up my i think i've told you this like ages ago but my dad always listened to that really old radio play called suspense Mm -hmm. And like we would listen to it on car rides and stuff, and so I just it reminds me of an old radio play, you know. So I just it's very nostalgic for me, but it's also like you said, niche because it's my interest as a gamer. Fallout, so well, and, and I and I all did, around a good time. That that was the vibe that I wanted. I I, I didn't want to go full old time radio play where I didn't want everybody you know speaking in the middle Latin accent like. Hey, Odessa, what are you doing over here? Yeah. You know, I didn't want to do that, but but in terms that of like after a while, <laughs> yeah. Uh, in terms of having like no narration, for example, uh, I wanted it to to be that pure audio drama and not an audio book. 
which was another thing that I, I felt like that would differentiate it also from some of the other shows that are in the space, not having narration and really going for that vibe. True Belt Escapades is one that really nails that noir vibe really nicely. Um, I, he, Preston does a fantastic job. And I'm not just saying that because I was in it. Um, and Vitriol was, uh, is, is in it too. So definitely everybody listen to that episode. Uh, but no, it's, it, that vibe is a, is, is a really cool one. It's not one that I would be suited to, to write. So a part of, a part of this is knowing what you are good at. And it's one thing to stretch. Um, but also I think understanding, like I wouldn't be able to write a story like Modus Files. I just, I would not be able to tell that story effectively. So I figured out what I, at least what I think I'm good at, and concentrated on that. Uh, if, if I tried to tell really deep, um, lore-based, um, uh, palace intrigue kind of story, that's really super deeply enmeshed in what happens in the game. That's, I guess part of it is it's not really the kind of story that interests me, so it would be harder for me to write, and nobody's cutting a paycheck for me, so I don't have that incentive. You know, if somebody walks up to me and says, hey, Brad, why don't you write this? I'm just trying to think of some soap opera script, right? I, I haven't watched soap operas in 40 years. I'd do it and I'd do my level best to do it. But if nobody's paying me to do it, I'm not going to. So <laughs> if somebody would, were to walk up to me and say, hey, we'd like you to write a few episodes for the upcoming Fallout series that's coming on Amazon Prime, like sign me up. Uh, you know, I I definitely do that. But when it's something like this, that's really a passion project, then I, you know, it, it's one of the nice things about this. You get to tell the story you want to tell. Oh, well, I think that kind of wraps us up for time here tonight. Is there anything that you want to shout out or plug before we let you go? Uh, well, there's a lot of great podcasts in this space. I, I highly recommend a lot of them off the top of my head. Chad is the chatty daddy. You know, he's the daddy of all of our, uh, all of our podcasts. It's uh, his is a great show. Modus Files, of course, the spiritual forefather of my show is also great. And I'm not, again, like, like with True Bald Escapades, I'm not just saying that because I'm on it. Uh, True Bald Escapades, as mentioned, uh, if you like noir, it's pretty cool. And there's a, a new section called the Cage Chronicles that Preston's been doing with that. But really just, uh, there's a lot of great stuff in the Fallout community, you know, creative community in general, and the Fallout 76 creative community. So just take a look around. Uh, you, you're, you're bound to find something you like, and there, there's some some really great creators and even if you're not into looking at creators or if you're not into creating yourself there's some really cool people there even if you don't play the game there's a lot of fun stuff that that, that folks do and please if you haven't listened to once upon a wasteland uh now is a perfect time to do that we have 10 episodes plus a prologue ready for everybody to to binge or listen to at your at your leisure i'd love to hear any any comments or feedback we our reviews have generally been good the one negative review we've got, I still, I think I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. Right. Uh, Fallout's not political, and why did you bring lesbians here? Yeah, the, 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 the subject was just lesbians, with a question mark. <laughs> and this has nothing to do with Fallout, it's just intended to push a political agenda or something like that. Because, as everybody knows, uh, LGBTQIA plus people existing is a political agenda, obviously, mm -hmm. you know. <sighs> yeah. Oh, uh, one other thing, uh, not me, but Vitriol has is doing a sticker exchange. So if you go to her uh, Twitter account, which is at Plays Vitriol, she has an image uh, that, that shows she has a P.O. box where you can send stickers. She will send stickers to you. It's a, it's a great sticker exchange, and we're trying to, 
to get her sticker book filled up for the for the summer sticker exchange. And one of those stickers that she sends out is a Once Upon a Wasteland sticker. Uh, so so please, if, if you're interested in participating in that, I just sent sent my shipment of stickers out to her. So I expect to get my stickers from her in the mail soon. Oh, heck yeah. And I would also like to say that even if you're not, our listeners know that I am not a Fallout girl. Like, <laughs> it's been established. But... I have listened to every episode of this podcast, and I have thoroughly loved and enjoyed it. Of course, there are a few references that I know are above my head, like I don't know the entire backstory of the Brotherhood of Steel. But you don't have to know that in order to enjoy this story and this storyline. So I think that that's the biggest thing that I would love to promote and say about this, that you don't have to be a fan of Fallout. You don't have to be a fan of 76. You just have to be a fan of people who have amazing relationships and that there is a wide and varied cast and you get to follow along a beautiful storyline. Well, thanks for putting that. Actually, that is one of the things that I took great pains to do. I wanted to try to make it as accessible as I possibly could to people who were not Fallout fans or not 76 fans. And the, the model that I used was the Mandalorian. I consider myself a Star Wars fan. I'm a bigger Star Trek fan. Please don't hate me. But I never watched any uh, anything other than the movies. Now, The Mandalorian had a lot of references to that stuff in there. And it probably helped if you understood those references, but it wasn't necessary to enjoy the story. And that's that's what I was shooting for. So, yeah, there are things like the Brotherhood of Steel and the you know, vault tech and these other these other concepts that are integral to the game itself but my hope is that i was able to provide enough context clues so that you could get it as you're as you're listening along and you at least understand what those things are to the point that you'll understand what relationship they have to the characters and to the story as they're going on so thank you thank you for for bringing that up live long and prosper <laughs> uh I would also, let's see, I think I'll wrap up this episode by saying thank you, Kitten. I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. You added that line. Oh, <laughs> I did, yes. For anybody who's listened, uh, Amanda likes to give nick- nicknames to people. Her nickname for Beth is Princess. Uh, I was struggling trying to think of a nickname that she would give to Odessa. And Jen suggested kitten and that's what i went with because i thought it was absolutely perfect for their for their dynamic so yeah so there's there's a little piece of gem in in once upon a wasteland yay (laughs) (laughs) all right thank you so much for coming thank you for having me like i said i was i was really looking forward to it and i'm 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 glad we we had the opportunity to talk this was it it was it was fabulous thank you so much please write a season two and then you can come back about that one. <laughs> Outlook hazy. Magic eight ball there. <laughs> if you like what you're hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes or give us a rating on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me in our Two Girls One Ship chat on the Robots Radio Discord channel and come give us a follow on all the social medias and on Patreon at Two Girls One Ship. Links to those are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well, and also be sure to check out our live stream on Twitch and YouTube on Fridays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. Check out the description for all links if you're interested. Thanks for listening, and remember... 
beauty is in the eye of the controller. Welcome to Three Count Thoughts. Let me introduce the crew real quick. Hi, I'm Maverick Stone. I'm Rummer. And I'm Jaxus. Join us as we talk all things wrestling. Each week, we'll take a topic from the wrestling world, knock it around a bit, and then go over the week in wrestling from a strictly fan perspective. We can be found on all major podcast catchers. We can also be found at Three Count Thoughts on both YouTube and Twitter. Or you can send us an email using 3CountThoughts at gmail.com. Okay, are you ready? Ring the bell. <laughs> 